Our first scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17, verses 1 through 6. Hear now the word of the Lord. Jesus said to his disciples, Things that cause people to sin are bound to come, but woe to that person through whom they come. It would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around his neck than for him to cause one of these little ones to sin. So watch yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. He replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Our second scripture reading this morning comes from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 12 through 22. Hear now the word of the Lord. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. So last week we began this journey through the book of Ephesians which is a wonderful book, but we did so with the central question of what does it mean to be claimed by God into the household of faith? Because we know it's easy to say things like, we've been claimed through the blood of Christ, but it's hard to say what exactly that means. And it's even harder to live as people who've been claimed. So thankfully, the book of Ephesians does a lot to answer those questions of what does it mean to be claimed by God. Last week, we started off by looking at chapter 1, at how Paul begins this letter when he says, there are two things that you need to remember, two things that are important to understanding this point. The first one is that through Christ... Through the blood of Christ, you have been adopted as a child of God. And as such, you have a great inheritance in him. 
Through your adoption into God's house, you are entitled to all of the blessings that that brings, to all of the wondrous joys that come with it. And the second thing is that we don't fully understand the magnitude of that statement. We can say that we're claimed by God and adopted as his children, but we don't know just how much that means, because it means a lot. And it's true, before we can understand what our inheritance in Christ is, before we can understand the blessings that come from God as members of his house, we have to understand who God is at the beginning. Last week, as we read through this, as we looked at the first chapter of this book, we were laying the groundwork for the rest of what Paul has to teach us, for the rest of this good news that's proclaimed, and for the rest of our new understanding of what it means to be claimed by God. So this week, we continue on and look at chapter 2, in which Paul makes a few very important movements. Most important of all, I would say, is his movement from talking about you to talking about us. It's a movement from talking about the individual, what it means to be claimed by Christ, to talking about what it means to be a part of a people who have all been claimed by Christ. This is a challenging topic to navigate. This is one of those things that Christians struggle with, and for good reason. It's important, but it's hard. And you know, as a person who preaches regularly, I'm always looking for stories uh, to tell. It's just one of the things that comes with the job. And as I was reading this this time, I was reminded of something that happened while I was in college. I know it seems like all of my stories come from college or high school, but the truth is I haven't had much other than that yet. So I hope you all will bear with me for a little while longer. But the second semester of my freshman year in college, I was, I'd made friends. I had a group of people that I hung out with pretty regularly, but I was looking for a way to get engaged in a faith community. I went to church at the Methodist church just across the street from the dorms, but I was looking for something a little bit deeper, somewhere that I could get involved with a community of believers that would help build me up and with whom I could, I could continue on in this walk of faith through college because I thought that was just so important. But the thing about Texas A&M is that it's a big school, and a big school tends to have a long list of organizations. So as I looked at this list of 800 student organizations, I just I felt overwhelmed. But eventually I found one that sounded like a good place to try, and that was this group called Artists. Now, Artists was a group that was specifically meant as a fellowship for Christian artists. I was someone who, I loved music, I liked doing some graphic design type stuff on the computer, I liked to draw even though I was terrible at it, so <clears throat> I thought this would be a good place for me to go to try and find some Christian fellowship. So I walked in there, and my first time at one of these meetings was a lot like what I imagine a visitor's first time coming to this church would be, which is to say you get there, and you're immediately surrounded by people who 
don't just want to know who you are because you're strange and new, but rather want to know who you are so that they can bring you into the life of the group. It's a demonstration of actual care and actual love. And it was an amazing thing to experience when I walked into this group. But here's the thing about artists. Not the group, but artists, the people. Uh, Anybody who knows artists or who is an artist knows that oftentimes artistically minded people tend to think in a little bit of a different way uh, and they tend to, that tends to create some interesting types of uh, awkwardness at times. Now, I am under no illusion that I am not an awkward person. I definitely have been shy for my whole life and I'm okay with that. But this, this thing happened when I walked into that group where my type of awkwardness and their types of awkwardness clashed a little bit. It was, it was, a, it was definitely an experience uh, that I can look back on and feel that I maybe learned something, but uh, definitely made it through. But for as much as I struggled with some of these people, not all of them and not even most of them, but some of them, to build connections, I knew that it was so so important during my college years that I get involved in a faith community like this. I was committed to the group, and so I coexisted. I learned how to get along with these people. And as the next couple of years went on, and I found myself sometimes playing music together with them, sometimes working on projects together with them, an amazing thing happened. And some of that initial clash fell away Because when you are invested in something together with somebody else, and you begin to realize just how close those kinds of friendships can become. As I read this passage, one of the things that jumped out to me is the simple fact that one of the best and hardest things about the Christian life is knowing that at the end of the day, we are in this together. It's one of the best parts of the Christian faith because it means that you don't have to go through whatever you're dealing with alone. And in fact, that you are a part of a community that's built on love, a community that's meant to be a place where we can share burdens and share celebrations. In truth, it's an extension of a family. We're in this together. But for as wonderful as that can be, there are other times when we come together and just clash. And that's when this beautiful fact becomes a challenge to us. It becomes one of the hardest things about a life of faith. Because sometimes the truth is we just don't want to get along. But in week two of our look in Ephesians, when Paul goes from talking about you to talking about us, as Paul makes that shift from me to we, we see an amazing, difficult, convicting truth start to emerge. He does this move in three parts. He says, first, that we were strangers and foreigners to the kingdom of God. We had no place back in the days when this was a physical kingdom in Israel. We had no place among those people. And therefore, we were outside of the realm of God. 
Then the second thing he says is that we have been brought near to God by the blood of Jesus Christ. This is amazing news. This is the good news of the gospel. That we who were distant are now close to God again. But he doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop with that part of the gospel, but continues on and says, Therefore, you and I, we are bound together in peace within Jesus' house. And that's where the challenge comes in. In a lot of ways, this follows a gospel formula that I like to go back to, which is that we first are convicted by our sin, then we're amazed by grace, but then we have to take it a step further and say that we are not only aware of what we need and what God's done, but more than that, we are reconciled by the Spirit of God, with God himself And as we're brought closer to God, we're brought closer to each other, too. It's the path from death to new birth, and finally into abundant life, the abundant life that Jesus Christ promised us in his Spirit. And every single letter that he writes, and everything that he says, all Paul ever seeks to do is proclaim the gospel message. All he ever wants is to preach this path from death to abundant life and then to take the next steps to clarifying just how significant that path is. He wants to proclaim the good news, but then he wants people to know this is not something to be taken lightly. This is, in fact, the most serious thing that has ever been told. We know that we begin in this first Place, this place of spiritual death, when we're separated from God. It's the world we all live in every day, a world that's overwhelmed by spite, by malice and cruelty, by greed, the focused on gathering more things, more fame. And at the end of the day, all of these things together mean that we are living in a place of hopelessness, because we know that if that's where our meaning is, if our stuff is what we're left with and what matters, we know that that just ends in the same place for everyone, and that's the grave. But then Paul continues on and says, this is the good news, that that's not your life anymore but rather that God has claimed you through the blood of Jesus, that God has taken you and said, this one is mine. No longer are we stuck in this kingdom of death. Now we've been brought into God's house instead. This reminds me of another one of Jesus' parables, probably one of his most famous, one of the ones that we tend to revisit the most frequently, and that's the story of the prodigal son. And this is a story, as we all know, of a young man who looked at his father and said, hey, it's been great being here, but right now, I would rather that you be dead and me have all of my stuff than to continue on like we've been. So if you don't mind, I'd like to take my inheritance and go live my life as though you didn't exist anymore. And the father does. He gives him his inheritance. The son goes off to distant lands to waste all of this money until finally he finds himself completely lost, completely 
hopeless, living with pigs and eating their food because he's so hungry. And he decides, I'm going to go back to my father's house and I'm going to beg to just be one of his servants. Maybe to re-enter his house, but just barely to make it in. But then the most powerful part of this story happens. And as this young man returns home, and his father sees him at, the, at a distance, he turns to one of his servants and says, let's celebrate, because this son of mine was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. And he was welcomed back into the household of his father. He was clothed in one of his cloaks and a ring put on his finger. But I want, to rem- I want to draw your attention to one particular part of this statement that the father makes. When he sees his son, his son who told him, I, want, I would rather you be dead so that I could have the money. When he sees that son, he turns to his servant and doesn't say, well, look who's come crawling back. He says, no, look, that is my son who's come back. And when he puts that cloak on his shoulders and that ring on his finger, he is claiming him fully, not partially, not just barely, but fully as his son again. Friends, we are welcomed into the household of God with that same enthusiasm, with that same fullness, even though we've been far, far away before. When we are brought back into the household of God, we're freed from all of those burdens. We don't have to come crawling back in because God embraces us and brings us in fully as His children. And we can be freed from our burdens in that. We can be given comfort. And in that love, we can be reminded in just in whom our hope is found. But in the same way that being adopted into a household means that a child is expected to behave like a member of the household, for us, being welcomed into God's house doesn't come without expectations. Being reconciled with God means that we have to be reconciled with each other. Jesus makes this much clear when he tells his disciples, yes, rebuke one another. When you see your brother falling short, show them how to come back. But when they do come back, forgive them. It doesn't matter if it's seven times in a day. Forgive them every time. It doesn't matter if it's 70 times, seven times. Every single time that they come back, you extend full forgiveness to them. That's a hard, hard thing. It's easy for us to forgive each other of minor slights, for us to let go of inconveniences or small, harsh words. But you don't have to look far to find stories of amazing acts of forgiveness. I remember back in 2006, there was this story that unfolded over a couple of years. 
There's this firefighter named Matt. He was 20 years old. And he got off of a 24-hour shift one day and decided he could drive home even though he was exhausted. And before he even knew what was happening, he found himself awoken by the sound of a terrible crash. As he regained his bearings and saw what was going on, he realized that he had fallen asleep at the wheel and veered into oncoming traffic and had a head-on collision with another vehicle. The first thing that he saw was that there was a young child, a 19-month-old child in the front seat who was unharmed. The second thing that he saw was that there was another person in the car, a mother who was pregnant with another child. Her name was June, and she was killed on impact. Her husband was a man named Eric, a Christian man. As I was reading this story again, I tried to imagine what it would have been like for him in those days, in those years afterwards, as the court proceedings began, as the investigation continued, what it would be like to see all of this happening while having to mourn the loss of a spouse and a child. I tried to understand what it might be like to think, why did this happen to her and why did this happen to me? And then I tried to imagine what Eric might have wanted to say to Matt or maybe to do to Matt. But the court forbade them from having any contact with each other until just one day shy of the second anniversary of the crash, Matt was walking out of a grocery store across a parking lot and he realized that someone who was walking the other direction towards him was Eric. And Eric had the same realization. And the two men who had heard of each other, who had so greatly impacted each other's lives, saw each other for the first time in person. And the response wasn't one of anger. It wasn't one of vengeance. But rather the two men met with tears and a hug. And Eric said to Matt, I forgive you. As the years went on after that, the two kept in contact. They became something of friends. In fact, they ended up going to the same church as time went on. These two people who had first been in contact because of something so terrible, through forgiveness, found a bond that continued on until the present day. This is the place where forgiveness becomes difficult. But by the grace of God, it becomes so important. Through Christ, these kinds of forgiveness, this kind of peace, isn't just possible, it's expected of the people who live within the household of God. That's not to say it's going to be easy. We should meet this in the same way that the disciples heard Jesus' call, which is to say we should pray, increase our faith. But through Christ, it is possible. We've lived so long now, every day of our lives, in a kingdom that expects grudges, that demands divisions, and that celebrates indignation. 
But now, now we're citizens of a new kingdom. We're members of a new household. Not a kingdom of separations, but a kingdom of reconciliation instead. A place where impossible divisions are mended where broken relationships can be repaired by the grace of God alone. So as we go out from here this morning, as we go into this next week, I want to invite you to think about the places in your life where there are divisions, about relationships that you have had that have been broken, about people to whom you need to extend forgiveness as Christ extended forgiveness to us. And I want to invite you with the disciples' prayer, increase our faith in your mouth to do the hard work of making amends, of building bridges, and by the grace of God, of being reconciled. Because through Christ, for as hard as this thing is to do, this amazing gift of forgiveness that we have is possible. Thanks be to God. Amen.